HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin leads the nation in the production of specialty cheeses, accounting for 47% of the total? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. And welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Elena Santigade, and today we're featuring my all-time favorite store on earth, and I say that with no hesitation whatsoever, the Park Slope Food Co-op. I'm super excited to have the team behind its beloved cheese department here in the studio with me, Yuri Weber and Britt Henriksen. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Really? So when I look around at most conventional grocery stores, here's what I see. Underpaid and often unhappy workers, very little real food, and a lot of what I guess they call marketing spend. At the Park Slope Food Co-op, all employees are paid a pretty living wage, um, receive full benefits, and a pension. And listeners, I honestly had to look up the definition of pension because that's how rare it is to see that benefit, especially in the food industry. On the customer side, members of the co-op pay a much lower markup on products and get much higher quality food. Yes, they pay less and they get better food. Only members are allowed to shop, and membership has one central requirement. You work one two-hour and 45-minute shift every four weeks. That requirement, by the way, is also one of the great benefits of co-op membership, and this is an angle I don't often see mentioned in reporting about the store. As a member, I feel like I could say this. I mean, members are participating in the process in a real way. Members are doing the work, and members create value. Members invest their own time and effort in the store's success and reap the benefits by saving money and strengthening the social fabric of the community. I've been a member since 2005, and it has been a total highlight of my life in New York City. And, okay, that's all flowery and nice, but if you're a numbers person, then let me spell it out a different way for you. The Park Slope Food Co-op has 17,000 members. The store does $1.1 million in sales each week. Last year, that came out to $56 million in sales. There is no e-commerce. There is no delivery service. There are no ads for the co-op, and there are no ads throughout the store itself. And the whole thing operates out of one shockingly small two-story building on Union Street, 
between 6th and 7th Avenues in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And here, if I was like, writing this out in an article, is where I would insert a mind-blown emoji. So let's get into it. The cheese stuff is also... The cheese department is also the stuff of total legend. Um, so one of the member work shifts is called flu- food processing. They cut the cheese. Britt, you're helping that process go smoothly day in, day out. You're down there in the basement with those member workers. Can you sort of paint this picture for our listeners? Like, what's, what's that shift like? What's happening on the food processing cheese squad? Well, um, we've got about 10 to 12 people per shift, mm-hmm. and there's majority that do dry goods. So okay. that's another part of food processing. But right, they're doing, like, the bulk nuts. Yeah. They're sort of sorting through and packaging stuff. Exactly. And then there's people that kind of migrate towards the cheese area oh, and the they cheese lovers very you know territorial territorial <laughs> about that they want to be there this is what i do and yeah so you know our job to make sure that they know what they need to get out on the shelf mm-hmm. and to help them find things and find the obscure cheeses and mm-hmm. all that and so i'm just there to help make sure that they don't destroy the cheese (laughs) (laughs) and with like it's like six shifts a day five to six shifts i think there's five on sundays Mm, and almost 10 people i mean that's that is a a big lift and and those shifts those people are changing every time so you have to do basically new education new training constantly right because it's not necessarily the people that are assigned to the shift there's makeups Mm. that come to do their shift so people could just show up and say i love cheese Mm mm-hmm how do I cut it? Exactly. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I always try to say that my job is, is moving cheese around. I mean, that's what hmm. we do. I, I move it around in my head and I move it around, you know, you know, the cheese itself, the, the physical cheese. So right. one of the things we try to do to get the members working is have the things readily available, have hmm. them visual. So there's a, there's a sliding door glass cheese case right behind where they're working. We try to have everything well organized and obvious and we have lots of visual cues on how to cut things that mm. doesn't necessarily always work out. But, <laughs> you know, it's an also another reason why we wrap things in plastic rather than in cheese paper. It's mm. so Britt and I can have a visual of the cheese case at all times mm. and catch all the things that are labeled incorrectly. So it's actually a quality control oh, sort yes. of step. That's oh, the main reason, yes. Interesting. Yep. So you basically are staging the cheeses there for everybody. If mm-hmm. people Absolutely. come in, there's a list, right? There's a list of what needs to get stocked. And throughout the shift, workers are basically running up, seeing what's low also, right. and deciding what they're going to cut next. Correct. Amazing. So, I mean, it's really wild. Listeners, for those of you who work in retail and you know struggle with turnover, imagine having brand new staff basically every day of the week. Every two and a half hours. Every two and a half yeah, hours. every two and a half yeah. hours. Exactly. <laughs> it's really wild. Um, okay, so Yuri... You described your job at the food co-op as basically chaos management, which I thought was a pretty hilarious way to say it. Tell us a little bit about what you mean by that. So uh, to, to build on what you were saying about the members doing the, doing the majority of the labor mm-hmm. is that basically the, the store is so busy that even having three or four people at a time cutting and wrapping cheese, we, we can't keep up. It's not a manageable Situation. Sometimes the store is so crowded that it's it takes just a huge physical effort to get from the basement with the cheese to the shelf itself, and Mm -hmm. the store becomes the store becomes unmanageable at a certain point. Mm -hmm. And 
the chaos is something you have to embrace and you also have to like <laughs> let go of like a lot of the things and make sure that the basics are on the shelf. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we really sell the most of is like New York State white cheddar, mm-hmm. Parmigiano Reggiano, Ben's plain cream cheese. If I can get those things on the shelf, those and, are your must have. Yeah, and get those, get at least the, you know, the the families satisfied. Then you know, I feel like my job's fairly well done. But then again, like a lot of it is just like I said, like catching the things that the the, the food processors mess up. And right. They mess up all the time. It's right. just it's just part of the job. And I think that allowing for that and like and knowing that that's going to happen mm-hmm. makes the job much less frustrating. Hmm. Just being like, okay. This is part of the right. job is the managing of the chaos. Like, this is definitely going to happen. It's not a it's not a question of if. Exactly. And I think since I've come in to the picture that they feel that they're getting a little bit more help from a staff member. Right. Because you're based down there by where they're doing the work. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I've figured out that that's where I do my job best is mm. helping them. So. So interesting. So it's really interesting to hear about those three cheeses, you know, in terms of the must-haves. How do you? How would you describe the full selection, Yuri? I mean, and, and I do spend a lot of time thinking about that, and yeah. it's it, it has a lot to do with you know what we can get from our distributors usually at a mm-hmm. discount. I work with some of our distributors to help them get rid of excess inventory mm-hmm. to move through lots of things that they need to change. So, for instance, they'll say, you know can you take these 10 cases of whatever we'll give you, you know, 20% off. Right. And then we'll have other bins in the bottom of the cheese case that I can throw that stuff in with a nice sign that says, this is, this is cheap. Buy right. it, buy it now. One time deal. Um, but then I'll go through and try to have a selection of things. You know, we call them cheeses of the week, things that we don't have all the time, but things from all over France, Spain, mm-hmm. you know, it's Italy. And then a mix of, you know, sheep, cow, goat, blue, Washed rind, and then that's just something I don't really exactly know how that works out every week. It, it seems to, and it seems like we have a good selection all the yeah. time. But it's it's an alchemy of of magic that I don't know right. how it happens. But it seems like we have a pretty good selection, and we don't have a lot of complaints or people like that are constantly looking for something because it'll eventually come around again, and that that right. thing that they are looking for will come back. Right, and I noticed there's not a ton of redundancy. No. And on that note of like of getting those deals, I mean, one thing, I've worked at different links in the supply chain, and I imagine that you are a distributor's dream store because of how quickly you move through products. So yes. you could take something that's ready to go from them, mm-hmm. and no other store in at least the eastern seaboard is going to move through it the way that the co-op will. Correct. Right. How quickly would you say you move through your inventory? Uh, weekly. I mean, yeah, weekly. we you think of our not specialty cheeses, we mm-hmm. sell 4,000 pounds a week. That's amazing. It's absurd. <laughs> yeah. So that's not including the things that we get right. deals on. This is just right. like right. the standard fare the standard, that we have all the time. Right. Yeah. Your standard Gouda and that cheddar. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Danish Brie. blue sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But the things that the things that we do get, like I usually end up getting about a week's supply. So hmm. you know, and sometimes we can move through a hundred pounds. It depends on the price point. You know, like I always felt like the magic price point is between like ten and twelve dollars for the members because mm-hmm. you can put like a quarter pound of something on the shelf for four bucks, and it's like it'll fly out. It'll right. just it'll just leave the store. So if that those if if that price point, we can usually move through like a hundred plus pounds a week of something. Wow. So I always say to people, buy less cheese more often. And I feel like the co-op really helps with that because Mm -hmm. there are small pieces. Like the cheese is purposefully, it seems, cut smaller. And Britt, that's something that you're kind of 
ushering into reality. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes there's certain people that like because of their budget or they're mm-hmm. single and they live alone and they're like, oh, I can't eat that much. And, you know, so they make too many small pieces. But I do mm-hmm. the whole mama bear, papa bear, baby bear from Goldilocks, you know, <laughs> which size is right for me. I love it. You know, <laughs> so that has helped some, you yeah. know, but yeah, some people just want to taste and some people are having a party and they want a pound or they right. want a small wheel of something, you know. So. Right. I've loved that you can just get smaller pieces and kind of go through a ton of different cheeses at the co-op without breaking the bank. I mean, even a quarter pound minimum at some stores, that can really add up. And you can't get, if you're just one person, like you said, or on a limited budget, you can't get more than two or three cheeses without breaking the bank. Yeah. Yeah. So how much does cost come into things? Because I know that originally the co-op was really founded as a way for, you know, a community of neighbors to have high quality food at an affordable price. And that was a big piece of it. And it seems like overall store wide, that's a big thing. And that's definitely something that I think about a lot when I'm doing the purchasing. It's Mm. like, I I know that we're still at heart a grocery store, you know, and it's it's something that we we kind of straddle the line between grocery store and, you know, fine cheese shop. Hmm. Some of the things, the higher price things, we can still move. Um, you know, we have a, like the Hornbacher on the shelf right now, mm. and it's 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 an amazing cheese, and we're selling it for seventeen dollars a pound, which is an amazing price for yeah. what it is. But the members don't perceive that value because right. they're not they're not interacting with a monger that's saying you should taste this; right. it's going to blow your mind. Right. They're relying on a small sign that you know one of us handwrites, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have the same interaction. So mm-hmm. I do feel like those higher priced cheeses don't have the same. They don't have the same value that I feel like they do at a higher price shop. Yeah. So even at $17 dollars a pound, like that's that's still going to be a difficult cheese for us to move. Right. It, it is, but they also certain cheeses get a following. So right. Like Tubby from Crown Finish Caves. Mm-hmm. Right. Has gotten a following, and you know it's a higher price cheese, but now people are like people know it. They're excited when it shows it? up. Can you get it? <laughs> so do you get a number of requests? Do you get requests often for specific cheeses? We do every day. I mean, we get them more in person. I I wish that I was able to spend more time on the sales floor in front of the cheese case Mm -hmm. talking to members. It's kind of one of the things I enjoy doing, but I don't have as I don't have the time to do that because of the moving cheese. Also, where would you even stand? You'd have to if you could hover from the ceiling. Yeah, it's challenging. There's (laughs) vertical space, kind of. Kind of. You know, I mean, I, I stock the case a lot, especially with the small format ca- mm-hmm. cheeses, and I, I do feel like I'm fairly approachable, and I, I will yeah. I will recommend things and take requests from people. But a lot of times it's just, like, the requests tend towards the more esoteric, right. you know, and so they're not for everyone. So right. I, I'd try to be more egalitarian with the choices and, like, things that I know that ever other people are going to enjoy. But... You know, that said, I will, I will bring in some weird stuff. Too. I, I, do like <laughs> I love things. it when I spot the weird stuff. When I'm shopping and I spot anything unusual, I make basically an announcement just there on the shopping floor, which is pretty hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> the beauty it's of fun. the Park Slope Food Co-op, listeners, if you haven't been, is that any member can pick up the paging system and page the entire store at any moment, which, of course, let's not abuse this power, but... It can really help if you see something awesome and you want to share the word. It's an abusable power. <laughs> yeah. It is. But, you know, when we have 50-some beers, 
which we do sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, in terms of that group down in the basement cutting all the cheese, one thing I really loved, Britt, that you said to me earlier was that you, you sort of likened that role to motherhood, that, you're, that you are feeling that your role as a mom and your role down there managing that food processing squad is similar. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's just, you know, now that the members have gotten to know me, I mean, I've been there eight years. It's amazing. So... They've gotten to know me, and they rely on me. And so when I come down, I haven't been down at the beginning of the shift. They're like, where were you? We didn't, what, we thought you were sick. Where were you? You know? And so, I mean, it's this lovely thing that, you know, they're, they're asking me questions. They want to know what they should do. Should I do this? Should I do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just lovely that they rely on me. Yeah. Yeah, and you always get that new energy. You know, I mean, I do think that as a retailer, that's something you can... It, that can go stale a bit. I mean, if you're lucky in a way, if you don't have turnover, you know, you don't, you don't have that bright eyed new person saying like, Oh, I've never done this before. I'm so excited. You know, there's a lot of excitement that happens down in the food processing area. I feel like a lot of the cheeses that end up on the co-ops Instagram page are from members <laughs> that are so excited that they've cut this cheese and they, they've made like a geometrical pile of cheese and they just can't, yeah. they can't contain themselves. They want to take a picture of it. And yeah, share and it. It's like a retailer would get used to that. You know, you do it day in day out this is my life although I do think cheese people stay pretty excited about things but for them it must be such a novelty yeah it's true I mean like whenever I cut a parm wheel down people are like can I help you do you need help I'm like I I love cutting the parm and I was on the parm squad for a little while myself but I feel like I've never seen anybody else doing it but I would be really excited if I happened upon another member breaking down a wheel there's this moment of silence that happens when you like break it open and everyone (laughs) gasps (laughs) On that note, we're going to take a quick break. This is so much fun. And we're going to be back in just a few minutes with Yuri and Britt of the Cheese Department at the Park Slope Food Co-op. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds. Or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally anyway, anytime, anyplace. I think about Andy Hatch and Uplands Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Sierchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. I'm Elena Santigate, and I'm here in the studio with Britt Henriksen and Yuri Weber of the Park Slope Food Co-op. 
So on the first half of the episode, we got into the cheese department details at the co-op. Like, how does the cheese make it to the shelf? How does this whole thing work? Um, in the second half, I'm interested in hearing more about what it's like for each of you to juggle the high-volume work with your Brooklyn-based lives. So, all right, we'll start with this. As a, as a longtime member, I have a, like a palpable feeling of what the ethos is among co-op members. You know, I mean, there's a little bit of everything. There's openness, there's creativity, there's kindness, intensity. There's definitely a dose of judgment every now and then. <laughs> um, so what is it like to work at the Park Slope Food Co-op? How is that ethos different or the same among staff? What, what's the insider scoop? I mean, I feel like when I said about managing chaos earlier, I feel like it, it, a lot of times, like I'll say that the inmates are running the asylum there and it's, <laughs> it's just a matter of like staying on top of things and like having members doing the job is like, mm. it's, it's a one more layer to the experience of running a store. So when we get the deliveries every day, um, you know, it's it's mayhem because you have to you have to instruct to each group of people that's mm-hmm. helping bring the deliveries in like where stuff goes and how to put it away and it, the the chaos is unbelievable mm-hmm. and just to deal with that is exhausting and like i f- i feel like there's there's times like even my wife does not understand like how exhausting <laughs> this job is mm-hmm. in the physicality and mm-hmm. the the mental capacity and the interpersonal things that you have to deal with right. with so many different people and so many different types of people because right. i do feel like the co-op is like a microcosm of brooklyn and there's totally. just so many different types of people and so many different groups of people that somehow all make it work together mm. and and it's amazingly exhausting. Yeah, it's sort of like going to a music festival or a cocktail party. <laughs> and you start in one spot and you're like, oh, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to get that. And somebody stops you. Right. And then you're like, okay, now I'm going to help that person. I'm going to do this. But wait, wait what was I going to do exactly. originally? Where was I going? Where yeah. was I going? So, and that can be like an hour of your time. Right. Unbelievably. But yeah. So, and and what about, I mean, I would imagine, I once worked at a, like a nonprofit advocacy organization here in the city. And, and I was a volunteer coordinator. And so I also was sort of exposed to that like raw humanity of a lot of different people and kind of herding cats. And I did, I, that was the last place I worked where I feel like I had this, amazing bond with like everybody who worked at the organization not just my immediate coworkers, but like everybody got it because we all touched this kind of crazy reality is that how it feels among staff at the co-op yes yeah mm. definitely i mean i do feel like there's that sort of like only we know you know and it's yeah. like i feel like right. we all feel that way like only yeah. only you know how i feel about, <laughs> right. about this situation right, right. now and there's right. a lot of knowing looks that happen between the staff of, and the eye rolling and yeah. Yeah. you know but then again like there's also a lot of love and i mm. i do feel like th- that's that's what makes it keep working and that's what makes me keep coming to work every day i mean it's right. it's incredibly frustrating and it's maddening but like it's an it's, awesome community. It is. It's an awesome community. Right. And it's, it seems like a very genuine community. Yeah. I mean, Yuri, you've been working at the co-op for 17 years. Oh, God, yeah. 17 <laughs> years, people. Is there any other cheese department or even grocery store in New York City? I mean, there are a couple of, of people who stick around that long, but this is pretty unusual. And, and Britt, yeah. you're on your eighth year. Yeah. It's almost like your eighth anniversary exactly, almost, I believe. Yep. Yeah. A couple times. Um, that is extraordinary longevity. Yeah. So something must be pretty amazing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's the community. It's our coworkers. It's, I mean, the way 
that were treated as employees mm-hmm. by the managers and general coordinators is, I mean, we're, we're allowed to do right kind of what we want to yeah, do. Yeah, you're, it does seem like you're independent. That sense of autonomy is also something that I mm. feel like it, it's, it's also what keeps me going. Mm. I mean, have, if I had a boss that was, that was looking at numbers and it's like, oh, well, we need to make these quarterlies and it's like, there's none of that. You know, mm. none of that. I feel like my own personal goal is to not throw things away. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. if we're not throwing things away, I feel like I've done yeah, a good in job. In the food industry, that's pretty much the only goal. Right. It really boils down to that, right? Absolutely. So interesting. And did you each start as part of the cheese team or? I didn't. You didn't. I, I actually started, it was a part-time job that I took mm. when I was going back to school. And that part-time job just sort of morphed into more hours and mm. more hours. And then the previous cheese buyer moved to Chicago, Marty. Thank you, Marty. Marty. And uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, he, I kind of hand-selected me as his successor to yeah. be, you know, the head of the cheese department. Lucky day. Yeah, lucky day indeed. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's been a fun ride ever since. Now, That's before the show, Yuri, you, you told me an amazing quote that basically the only piece of advice that Marty gave you, you've got to say it on air. He said, never drop a wheel of Parmesan on your foot. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. That and was, you know it? Really good advice. It yeah. is good advice. I haven't dropped one on my foot yet, so... <laughs> And Britt, did you eight years ago when you started? Were you thinking cheese, or was there another sort of angle no, that you came in on? I just um, I had gone to culinary school before I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. I didn't work for the. She was six, I think, when um, I started the co-op. She was in kindergarten, mm-hmm. and I was going to apply for a job previously, but it went away really soon. The posting came down, and. Um, Somebody suggested that I apply, so I did apply, and luckily I got it. Um, many people apply over and over. Oh, and I'm sure over again. I'm sure, you have like lifer job applicants. Yeah, those, you know, and you, you tell them keep applying, keep applying. Yeah. you know, the good they, ones you tell yeah. them keep applying. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> you you tell know. everybody. Yeah, but um, but people don't leave really. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. There's not, I mean, in terms in. In terms of like the norm, I think that in the food industry we yeah, have an yeah. incredibly low turnover. Right, yes. yeah, it's really exactly. amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I mean, I just luckily got a job nights and weekends, and my husband and I worked it out with childcare. And because she was in school, it was easier. And mm. you know, it, I, I didn't have to pay for babysitting anymore, so mm. my salary wasn't going to be just given to the nanny. Right, right. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, and then luckily, um, uh, one of our coworkers, when she was leaving, um, I got asked if um, I wanted to work with Yuri, and I said, yeah, of course I do. So you also got tapped for the cheese department. Yeah, very cool. We look out for the best and the brightest. <laughs> <laughs> Who loves cheese? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, the other side of it is like many food co-ops start with. You know, through political motivation, I would say. Um, and uh, Joe Holtz was like one of the main founders, if not, he's sort of the the the, the, GM. the, yeah. the, yeah. the original Park Slope Food Co-op uh, member, owner, everything. So I actually read a, a cool quote by him where he said, we wanted to build cooperation, have a community success in a country that puts too much emphasis on individual success, but it wasn't a do-gooder project. We were self-helpers. And I love that quote because, you know, I think that you, you read about food co-ops in the 70s and there were actually a ton, even in New York, that did not make it. And it seems like, I, I mean, 
listeners, if you if you didn't tune in in the beginning of the show when I read the stats, uh, rewind this podcast right now and listen to them again because it is astounding. One point million, one point one million dollars a week in sales. This has not only worked; like this is doing really, really well. So. I find it really interesting that quote from Joe, you know, what do you guys think has been part of why there's been such longevity? I mean, is it because it inherently was a smart idea and not just an idealistic one or what what would you say as people who've worked there for, you know, over a decade and almost a decade? What is it? I mean, I feel like the thing that helps the Park Slope Food Co-op remain is that New York is such a population dense area. Mm -hmm. And I think that even having a small sliver of the population that are members that are working members allows us to continue. And we have a huge member turnover. I mean, Mm. the the membership is essentially static, but we get, uh, you know, a hundred and some new members every week, but about that many leave because it's not, it's definitely not for everyone. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's a difficult place to shop sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult place to interact with people, and some people just hate the work. But I do feel like having a, having a reliable amount of members to, to replenish mm-hmm. allows us to keep going. And I, I do think this model doesn't work everywhere. I mean, mm. they tried it in a lot of different places in the country. Like, a lot of, a lot of food, new food cops come to us for advice and ask about our model, right. but it doesn't necessarily work for them because they don't have the population density to keep it going. Right. It's just not. It's just not practical in a place mm. like Missoula, Montana, where right. their their co-op didn't make it. Yeah, so interesting. What do you think, Britt? Uh, I, I think the community is really strong, and I mean, Park Slope has just grown and grown and grown, mm-hmm. and you know, we're considering getting a second location mm-hmm. and. I want it to happen, but I'm leery of yeah. it because I just don't know where we can set a building right. and have the same community and have it work because having to work and you can't buy out, you mm-hmm. have to work to be able to shop. Right. I'm just not sure it's going to be as successful as the Park Slope building is where it is. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always it's it has remained in the same location the whole time. It expanded a little bit, right? At it's, one point, it started in this the just the second floor of one building, and then they bought that whole building, and then the building next to it, right. and then the building next to that. So it's mm. actually grown four times, I guess, right. over the course of the of the time that. And it's and been. there was a, a buried lead in there a little bit in the sense that. They bought the building, and that yes. is crucial yeah. in New York City, especially. Yeah. And they bought it in the eighties. They or? bought one of the buildings of them, in the eighties, yeah. and then another one in the early nineties, and then the, yeah. the last one in two thousand one. I mean, right. this is key. This is like the key to just not getting completely swept up in what's happening. Exactly. To so many businesses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing about the second location is that like, I feel like they're having a hard time finding a location mm. that we could actually purchase in right. today's market. Right. A lot of the a lot of the spaces that are becoming available are in these new, like large towers that are mm. being built, where they they want something as an anchor in the ground floor. Right, but they want to get paid for that anchor. But they want right. to get paid for yeah. that. So that's... they're looking they're looking more at a at mm. a high end retail area. Yeah, tricky, super tricky. So. Here's a question for you. You know, for our listeners who are hearing about this, who understand the camaraderie, but, but haven't yet experienced the, that sort of depth of community side of their work, 
how, what would you say to people sort of looking for more of a mission-driven experience? I mean, do you feel like it's, it's like, well, apply to work at the Park Slope Food Co-op? Or is it something that you can cultivate? Or should people try to build buying clubs and CSAs and food co-ops in their own areas? What do you think? How can more people have what you guys have? I think that the, this this sense of community is a buildable thing, mm-hmm. and you know it could start with you and your friends and being able to buy something online or have it shipped to you a central location, and and be able to trans you know to build that out from there. Mm-hmm. But again, like like I was saying about the population density, I feel like the the thing that makes it work here is that there are so many people. So right. even as when the food co-op started as a buying club, mm-hmm. you know, a couple hundred people buying in to drive a truck to the produce market worked out. Right. Whereas it, it might not necessarily work out in other places. I do feel like the, the sense of camaraderie, though, is, is repeatable. Mm-hmm. And it, even if it's just in a sense of, you know, starting a project together and mm. Like and something that's a shared a shared endeavor, you know. Like I do, I do firmly believe that like shared endeavors work out better. Mm-hmm. You know, you it's it's really hard to start a business by yourself, but like with three or four people, it makes hard. it makes the the load a lot lighter. You know, right. it might be more difficult later on when things are successful or not, but right. at the beginning, building it is certainly easier with more hands and more fun, maybe and more fun. What do you think, Brett? I mean, the community at co-op is such a strange and tenable thing. I mean, I have squads that literally go out for Saturday brunch after their shift, you know, and it's just like (laughs) they have become really close friends. They've like made their friends join the Mm co-op. I mean, it's it's such a strange and lovely place. Yeah. 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 I don't. I mean, I wish it could be repeated other places, and I hope it can be. I mean, La Louvre and. Paris. Uh, yeah, they're still up and running. Yeah, yeah. they're they're so. they're doing it. Yeah, and then the, and Par- I mean France has such a like interesting history too of the communal aspect mm. and like you know they could they could be a communist country that they're just mm. you know mired yeah. in different political <laughs> problems. But I mean I do feel that they have they have that in them the, right. the French to like work together and are and argue about things and like get things done. And right. I feel like there's a there's slightly less of that here and like mm. I feel like the the membership perhaps just kind of lets things happen mm. here more and that that's you know it's probably easier for us than like than like so many people like having an opinion so many you know opinions. there's yeah. definitely a few members that have strong opinions and they'll come to me and talk to me all the time but right. like it's not across the board right so a lot of people are just like happy to come in and do their shopping and leave and right. do their shifts and that's enough hmm. Exactly. I mean, I think those arguments and such were at the beginning when they were trying to form it, figure really out what like, they were doing. Yeah, imagining something exactly. and putting and bringing it into reality. Yep. That can be an awkward experience, but worth it for sure in this case. Oh man, I can't believe it, but we were totally out of time. What a fun episode. Um, thank you, Britt and Yuri. Thanks thank for having us. The Park Slope Food Co-op Cheese Department. What a lovely time we've had here in the studio. I'm Elena Santigade, and we'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Food Radio is supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Exactly like you Now why should we spend